0: We turn to the Word of God, thirty-seven.
1: Before we read the passage, the selection of the passage, must put it into context. You must keep in mind that Ezekiel was
0: the prophet of the Lord. The The river Kibar.
1: Jeremiah was the prophet who brought the word to Judah and Jerusalem while they were in the land prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Ezekiel was already in the land of Babylon when Jerusalem was destroyed. There were there was an earlier group of exiles who have been taken 11 years prior to the destruction of Jerusalem as hostages. Sons and daughters of priests and princes as hostages. With a threat, of course, if you don't cooperate with us, these may be slain. Ezekiel was one of those who was the son of a priest who was taken into the earlier exile. And he was taken at the age of 25. As you open the book of Ezekiel, you will find a reference to the 30th year, and that's the fifth year of their exile. So five years after that early group was in exile, he's called to be a prophet. The son of a priest is called to be a pros- prophet at the age of 30 by the vision of the church. You know how Ezekiel opens with the vision of those awesome Cherubim, glowing with the light, riding on chariots with the six wings and so on. And, of course, they represent the very glory of the Lord and wheels within wheels and so on. Well, he's called to be a prophet then six years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem is destroyed and judged and now you have this prophecy about a year following the destruction of Jerusalem so that's the the context you see when this prophecy and this uh, vision is prophecy is made and this vision is given
0: the hand of the and And cut we need to to I beheld, Lord, the sinners and the
1: flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above.
0: And sent them to me, so I prophesied, and, they looked, and stood up upon their feet,
1: an exceeding great Army, and he said unto me, son
0: of man, these both
1: and bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I- And brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. And then there follows a section that speaks of the Lord bringing Ephraim and Judah, Ephraim representing northern Israel, which is in captivity, of course, and scattered, and Judah in exile back together. And they were to be one nation, but then I want to go on to verse
0: twenty twenty one say
1: They shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kings any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out. You will be my people, and I will be their God. And David. They shall also walk in my judgment, and observe my statutes, and do. They shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein their fathers have dwelt. They will dwell therein, even they and their children and their children. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. Thus far the reading of the passage, and our text consists of verses 1 through 14.
0: We are in the section of...
1: In which he is called
0: to a people who are at the point of despair,
1: That doesn't mean simply that the walls were knocked down, but it means, of course, there is no temple anymore, and the Ark of the Covenant is gone as well, and added to that is a slaughter, a very great slaughter, young men and maidens and mothers and little ones. The city ran with blood in the tens of thousands. But not only is there so much death and destruction as these exiles have witnessed, but they know that it is the matter of the judgment of God upon them. If there were ever a people who deserved this judgment, it was the nation of Judah and Jerusalem due to their abominations as with his own hand beloved the Lord God through Nebuchadnezzar had fallen upon Jerusalem. And to all intents and purposes, it seems as though they had been not only destroyed, but disinherited. And it's in this context that Ezekiel is commanded now in the second part of his prophecy to speak to the exiles, the whole of them as they are by the river Kibar in the hundreds of thousands. And there is reference in these chapters just previous to our chapter concerning the covenant of God and God remembering his covenant and remembering of his covenant for his own name's sake that he does not intend to completely disinherit his Israel represented by the the people of Judah in Exile, And there will be what he calls, as we have read, a covenant of peace, a covenant that has to do with the fulfillment of promise and restoration and reconciliation. So this is a prophecy in the, en- in the end that is meant to encourage and to keep from despair. And what we read in the end is that God is declaring that he is going to preserve
0: from the law of
1: the covenant, believers and their seed. Yet yeah, we read about children and children's children, did we not? But also of Judah and Israel, even reviving some of them. But in addition to that, he's going to gather his people out of the Nations, as we read, if you recall, there was reference even to the heathen, and that's not simply the Jews amongst the heathen, but with the Jews amongst the heathen, the heathen themselves, to be brought into the the kingdom. And so you have this prophecy that looks to the messianic kingdom, references made to David, and that means ultimately we have prophecy here that looks to the New Testament age and The age in which we live as church. But this is a passage that magnifies God's faithfulness in spite of His people's unfaithfulness and our own unfaithfulness, if you will. But it also magnifies the importance of the preaching of the gospel. Because Ezekiel, when it says he is to prophesy, is being called to preach. The gospel. But beloved, along with that being underscored in this passage, if he is to call, he is called to preach the gospel, then by implication we are called to pay heed to the preaching of the gospel. And as we will discover as we get into the passage, part of that gospel is the call to repentance, faith and repentance, because if it was one thing that this Judah and Jerusalem and the exiles lacked, it was the response to the gospel in repentance. It's grace, grace, and all of grace, beloved, but the truth of grace does not mute, muzzle, or dismiss the call to respond to the preaching of the gospel in faith and repentance. And if there is a call of the gospel to faith and repentance and there is not the proper response, there are consequences. That's plain from the history of Ezekiel and from the passage that we read. With that in mind, we turn to Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones what Ezekiel saw and then of course what that signified and then he was called to address these bones and then the wonder that occurred.
0: Ezekiel Like the Apostle John and so a great vision.
1: And this is a vision which just like the visions in the book of the Revelation has to do with history, the history of the church, especially as it has to do with the New Testament. Age. We must understand that it it had been some time since Ezekiel had seen a vision. He had seen the last the last vision he had seen was some six years prior to this. That doesn't mean that meantime. He hasn't had the word of God. If you read Ezekiel, between the two times of the two visions, you will read that the Spirit of the Lord said this to me, and the Spirit of the Lord said this to me, and he's he's called, and the Spirit moves him, and he has words to bring to the people in exile. But he here is given to see a vision, and that means, beloved, it's as though he sees something on a computer screen or a TV screen and it has to do with figures that he sees before him. That was the last vision that he was given and as I said that had been some six years previous to this vision and the vision, that vision meant that he was taken by the Spirit while he was remaining by the river key bar He, as it were, with his mind was taken to Judah and Jerusalem, and was actually given
0: to view
1: visionary figurative way. the last vision that Ezekiel had been given to see is found in verses ten uh, chapters ten and eleven, and what he was given to see. In chapters
0: ten and eleven, previous to the destruction of Jerusalem was the glory of But having been given to see that, he then is left with the glory of the Lord.
1: and from the house of the Lord. That's what we read in verse, chapter 11, verse 22. Then did the cherubims lift up their
0: wings, and the wife of one of the sons of Eli who had the Temer
1: and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and when Eli heard that he fell backward and broke his neck in died and the wife of one of the sons of Eli the given, gives birth and she herself is a believer and grieves and says Ichabod so five years previous to the destruction of Jerusalem, Ezekiel is given to see the departure of the glory of the Lord from the temple. The temple stands there as an open house, if you will, without the dwelling of God. His presence is
0: gone from the temple and Jerusalem. And that means, Fall. But this is the heart of the people that have been told judgment and his
1: wrath. As chapter 11 begins, he sees the sons of priests at the gate of the Lord's house and he gives them a name and one of them is Jezaniah and the Lord says to me, son of man these are the men that devise mischief and give wicked counsel in this city which say,
0: it isn't near. What is it near? But We don't believe a word of it. It's not near. God would
1: not rain judgment upon his Israel. We are his Israel. We're the sons of Abraham.
0: You know, to the church, maybe Sabbath by
1: Sabbath, and bring some sacrifices as well it's not near let us build houses let us put down stakes here we got a future here words of the prophet or no words of the prophet this city is the cauldron we be the flesh that is the city is as a pot a kettle and we're the meat we we're the ones who make it tasty the soup in the pot we have nothing to fear these prophets have been preaching judgment for how many decades And has it fallen? We're still here. What have we to fear? That's, you see, the attitude. Though they've been called to repentance and warned again and again. And then Ezekiel sees the cherub lift up with the glory of God and depart. And God stands in the mountain with his judgment and his wrath. And they are wide open, you see, to the destruction that will come by the way of the Babylonians. And then we go up before our chapter some five years later after the glory of the Lord has departed from that temple and the leaders are saying we have nothing to fear that judgment will never fall upon us we are a special people you know chapter 33, 21. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity. This is the early exiles, the first group of the exiles, part of which Daniel and his three friends were also involved in. It came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity. In the tenth month, the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped. The city is smitten. It is demolished. The words of the prophets have come to pass and the judgment has fallen and the temple is no more and the ark taken and we are slaughtered and scattered. And then you read the hand of the Lord was upon me until the evening. Ezekiel heard it. He knew it was coming but it still filled him with a shock as he thought about what this meant and the consequences and then the next morning the spirit comes upon him and he has to open his mouth again and I was no more dumb than the word of the Lord came unto me saying son of man and he has words to bring well beloved it's in that context that you have this vision of the valley of the dry bones And the, probably about a year after the destruction of Jerusalem, maybe not that long, but only following the destruction, the demolishing of Jerusalem with the slaughter and then the people as exiles in captivity. It's at that time that the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And, of course, it says there were many in the open valley. There were piles of bones in the open valley, and, lo, they were very dry. Skeletons is all they were, and probably not even the bones were attached to each other as skeletons, but just scattered in every which way across the the valley, these piles of bones. And the Lord said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live to which he responds, O Lord, thou knowest very well whether or not these bones can possibly live. There is no life in them, and there is no possibility of life in them as they lie there. But keep in mind, beloved, that as we have read, these bones represent Israel, first of all. And we're not referring
0: those who have been slain and as
1: they lie there there are them there are those who will come to Ezekiel and they will of course speak in despair as we read, our bones are dry, our hope is lost; we're cut off for our parts. And the question of course is can these bones live? And of course it's a rhetorical question When the Lord, when Ezekiel says thou knowest Lord, he says thou knowest Lord very well, these bones can't possibly live. the question is can they live speaking of course with respect to can these bones as they represent
0: Israel can Israel itself
1: O Lord God, Thou knowest very well as we look at these dry, dry bones. There is no hope of that. They are very, very dry. So he responds. That's the implication when he says, Thou knowest, Lord, almost, why do you even ask it's certainly self-evident, it's obvious. So You have these bone beloved representing this Israel, this apostatizing and apostate Israel without any power or ability of themselves ever to be involved in the kingdom and not, cert- and certainly not to be used in the establishment and the coming of that kingdom. But in the end, I want you to understand that these dry bones not only represent apostatizing and apostate Israel, these dry bones, of course, represent the whole of fallen humanity, because fallen humanity in itself, of course, is under the sentence of death due to its, our own rebellion against God and our immoralities and all the rest. So that scripture declares concerning mankind as for being in sins. And you know where that's found, right? Well, it's found in the same book that you find the prophecy or, or that word concerning predestination, election we considered last Sunday evening. Ephesians, only not Ephesians one verse four, and love having predestinated us into the adoption of children, but in Ephesians chapter two, where you read in the first verse, and you speaking to Jews and Gentiles but especially unto Gentiles who were converted under the gospel
0: you that one is under the But it speaks concerning one's condition, spirit.
1: Even more than that, not even a desire, not even a desire for salvation. And living in the ways of God, contrary to what the Armenians teach, of course, because there are those who will say, "Well, it says dead and trespasses and sins, that's humanity and uh, will of themselves desire to be. Say the freedom of the will and the Gospel coming in such a way as to persuade them that it's in their best interest to believe, and God will leave that up to up to them no beloved that's not what it means to be spiritually dead, not only one is not able not 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 able to do that which is good, one is unable to believe, and one is not entrusted in faith unto salvation, not salvation, beloved properly defined.
0: You understand how you define salvation? To be saved.
1: That's not yet salvation, beloved. Simply that one becomes a member of the church and wants to go to heaven in the end of one's life. Salvation has to do with deliverance from sin. And beloved, when it comes to deliverance from sin, that involves not only the deliverance from the guilt of sin, that has to do with the deliverance from the power and the rule of sin. And one has been
0: set free from sin. Sin and disobedience
1: and to satisfy the carnal appetites. The transformation is made by the power of the Holy Spirit by his grace. Contrary to all we deserve. That's salvation. And beloved, that's not what natural man wants. Doesn't want to go to hell. Ask them to like to go to heaven if there's an option. But to forsake my sins? repent of my sins, and cast myself upon the mercy of God, and then live. I'm not interested in that. Not if salvation means I have to live unto God and forsake my evil ways, my sinful ways. That's too great a price for me to pay. And they remain unconvinced for all they're saying. Saved, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Salvation, beloved, has to do with a whole new heart an attitude towards oneself and one's sin and living unto God. And not only with the mouth saying praise to God, but actually living as he requires in the way of an obedience. And that natural man does not want. And beloved, that's not what many in Israel in Jerusalem and Judah wanted either. They were not of an interest to leave their sinful way. It's interesting that God brings that to the attention of Ezekiel in an earlier chapter. In chapter 33 of Ezekiel,
0: God says to Ezekiel, They come...
1: but they will not do them. Notice, they will not do them. For what a wonderful word. But their heart goeth after their covetousness, after their lusts. We may hear the word and say, oh, that's a good sermon. Nice word, Domini. And they go out, and they continue the same way as when they came in snared by sin, pursuing their immoralities. Can't give those up. We love them too much. Beloved, that's not salvation. That's not repentance. That's not a faith. But that's who the prophet was dealing with in large measure in the nation of Israel, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but at the same time, beloved, when there's reference to those who are dry bones, there is not only a reference to those who are spiritually dead and really unbelieving, but even to those who were the spiritual remnant of Israel yet and had a faith and were spiritually alive in Israel in the captivity and the exiles. There was a remnant yet that was kept by God that had a faith and a desire unto a godliness. They may have been weak in faith and spiritually negligent in many ways, but for all that were saved and had a spiritual life, and is especially vulnerable. which segment of Israel says this now. Our bones. That's the spiritual segment of Israel, you see. We are under the judgment of God, and it appears to us we have been disinherited. Our bones are dried, our hope is lost, and we are cut off in our hearts. In what way could you say they are dry bones if they yet have a spiritual life? In this way they are dry bones, beloved. Left to themselves, they could not even as believers bring forth the spiritual seed. We are dry bones. All we can bring forth are those who are spiritually dead, given to corruption and without the possibility of faith. That's true, beloved. We may be married as believers, but in our marriages as believers, we cannot bring forth spiritual seed. All we can bring forth and all of our lives, though we are believers, are those who are conceived dead in trespasses and sins. And if God, the God of the covenant, does not take it upon himself either in the womb, or
0: the
1: womb to give newness of life, those whom we bring forth remain spiritually dead unable to believe, and they will not have an interest in the things of the of the Spirit and live unto God. That has to be given, that has to be worked by the Holy Spirit at some time in the development of our children, as I said, be it in the womb or later in life. And so you have the spiritual element of Israel sitting under the judgment of God and saying if the judgment of God means that he is no longer going to work within us by his mercy to bring forth the spiritual seed then we are cut off and we are without hope and there will be no promised kingdom either. How is it Ezekiel? Is that where we are at, filled, you see, with a despair as they read the slaughter, as they read the judgment, and as they read the severity of the word of God almost to this point, and what God had done to them and how he had dealt with him in his, his wrath and the severity of his anger. And Ezekiel himself, wonders. Lord God, what does this mean? Are we cut off? Because we of ourselves cannot bring forth spiritual seed. We are as dry bones. Are thy covenant mercies and promises clean gone forever? Is that what our sins have brought to pass? Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. And the Lord comes in this vision concerning dry bones. And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And then the Lord speaks to Ezekiel so that Ezekiel may speak to the spiritual remnant, you see, that hope might be revived
0: left to themselves
1: these bones cannot themselves return to the promised land and be used by thee even to bring forth the everlasting kingdom not as they are in themselves not the carnal certainly but not because spiritually to bring forth spiritual covenant seed we are impotent powerless disabled like dry bones And then he says to Ezekiel, It's impossible, except if it's my word and my intention to work in a wonderful way. Prophesy upon these bones, and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And then thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will call I will call you, and you shall live so how is it that these bones can live these bones shall live when i by my power determine that i will breathe upon them and give them life and renew them
0: again giving to some that they never had
1: And I will lay sins upon you and bring flesh upon you, and so on; but before we go on, beloved, I want you to notice something that before verse
0: five, where God says Don't forget verse 4.
1: Before the Lord God says, I will cause breath to enter into these bones so that they may live. The Lord says, prophesy. Preach to them as you have preached
0: before. Notice the word again. Because. The Lord says,
1: Ezekiel, prophesy. Open your mouth as a prophet and preach now. Because I'm telling you, in connection with the words you will now bring forth, I am going to begin a work. Now is the time of salvation. Preach, Ezekiel. Preach. And so, Ezekiel opens his mouth and begins to preach. And what does he preach? He preaches basically, beloved, the same thing he had preached before. You don't have it all spelled out here. This is just simply summary form. The Lord God says, I'm going to say unto them, behold, I say unto you, I will cause breath. But I'm going to do that in connection with your preaching, you see. I'm going to honor the Word. But he doesn't do it apart from the Word. He does it in connection with the Word to bring about this salvation. What was he to preach? He was, of course,
0: to call them to faith and to worship God alone. Notice
1: what you're reading. Remember what we have read. You preached to them, and they said, "Oh, a alo- and then they did not go out and do it. They didn't obey what they were commanded to do—to repent of their sins and turn. But
0: God says there come a time in verse 31 of chapter 36. They-
1: God says to Ezekiel, that you will remember your evil ways and loathe your own sight. And then in our own chapter, if you recall following, there comes a there comes a time when they shall not defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor were there any transgressions. But I will say But that's in harmony with and connection with the preaching of the word, that is the call to repentance, to loathe yourselves. They were called to loathe themselves. That's a strong, strong reason, of course. And what that means
0: is that instead of having a desire to, find them
1: to be revolting according to a new man in them. The new man does not have an appetite for these things, but they begin to stink in one's nostrils. One loathes them, you see. And the calling is to leave them behind and depart from them and to seek that which pleases God, the things of the, of the spirit. You see, that's what repentance is all about. Repentance isn't simply I'm a terrible sinner, you know. I'm the chief of sinners, a great Great sinner. I really must acknowledge that and I'm so sorry, sorry for my sins and that I maybe have hurt you and done this and that and who knows what in the name of God. But I'm still going to pursue those things that please me and my flesh. I can't give those up, you know. That's not repentance. Repentance has to do with loathing oneself. That is I am ashamed and it grieves me that I had an appetite for those things and desired those things and pursued those things. Oh, forgive me, Lord God, of my carnal appetites. And out of the newness of my heart, I now desire that which is new and actually feeds the spirit, if you will, the food of the soul. That's repentance. And to that, this people was called and God says, I'm going to use the preaching exactly to accomplish that now, so that a people who were given to live in disobedience will be working with such a way that they will desire to live in the way of
0: and so
1: the word of the Lord, he opens his mouth and he begins to preach to them as if they It is pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, beloved to save them that believe, as we read in first corinthians second corinthians I'm sorry, first Corinthians where you where you read in chapter one already that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe and Then goes on to say, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. And so,
0: this prophet, who had been preaching for who knows how, and lo and behold,
1: as he preaches, Sinos, and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them. There was a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. There was this shaking, and there was this flicking of the bones, as it were, and I suppose you could get into the spiritual, or you could begin, begin to think the ankle bone came to the shin bone, and the chin, shin bone came to the thigh bone, and you can go all the way up to the, the skull, I guess. But that's basically what happens. All these bones begin to sort themselves out and to come together,
0: and then flesh appears in them, sinals and muscles and flesh.
1: But there was no breath in them. That's kind of an interesting thing, that under the preaching of the word, you have this gathering of the of the bones, and so on, but you don't have life yet. And perhaps that's a teaching of us, that when a man goes forth to preach, you can have those who it has, it has an effect upon them
0: and they can almost appear to be believers. You know, persecution
1: and they scatter away. They have an appearance, but they're not really saved as yet. Yet the preaching has affected them. Maybe that's what we have in mind here. God has a mind here, but the emphasis is this, that the preaching itself cannot save just to preach may have men, I suppose, who will look kind of moral and so on, but it can't save a man and turn him into the man of faith and godliness. There is no
0: breath. Then so they may live. And
1: I prophesied And the breath came unto them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. And so, beloved, it came to pass by the power of God. One may preach, as they say, to the cows come home, and there's no salvation until God comes with his Holy Spirit, and the Spirit honors that word and applies it in such a way that life is worked and life unto faith, and life unto repentance, and life unto godliness, by his irresistible power, into whom in soever whom he will, as Christ says, the spirit blows blows where he listeth, and it's according to election, of course, and when the Holy Spirit determines to honor the word, then life is brought forth. Life there's faith, and there's repentance. And there's a desire unto godliness by the power of God. And that, of course, is the word of God. But the point is, he does that in harmony with the preaching, not apart from the word. So preach, God says to the church. Preach, but we don't see a lot of... Leave that to me. You preach as you are called. Preach faithfully. Preach the fullness of the word. And when I decide to make it powerful and effectual, I will do in my will, and I will save my own, and I will gather the church, and I will take them into the inheritance and make them of use unto the kingdom, and the service of the kingdom, and the victory of the kingdom. And beloved, that's what you find of course, when he calls them an exceeding great army. Here's the wonder of it all.
0: He takes these dead he brings
1: And he turns those whom he has saved into an exceeding great army. Not simply a
0: multitude, but an army. The church militant. And we talked about the church militant.
1: Judah, in, in, in the promised land following the Babylonian captivity, was not a force to be reckoned with. They were weak, and they certainly didn't send forth the gospel. They barely survived themselves. They were under the heel of Persia, and then of Greeks, and then of the Roman Empire itself. But then came this great son of David who is promised, and he gave himself to the cross, and on the basis of his death, in the, way of the payment of our sins and the sins of God's Israel, has the right, beloved, not only to rise from the dead, but to pour out his spirit and to bring forth life. And then to send the apostles into the world, not simply to defend the truth, but in in the way of
0: an offense, to take on the image of the church of Christ.
1: Say it takes faith to say that, see that, but it's true victory unto victory, the gathering of the of the elect out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and it's not by that's not whats being prophesied here. What did Christ say to peter in the in the garden when he took out his sword and took a swipe at, at a man? Peter put away your sword, he who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. the power that I will give to you and use you as a force to be reckoned with was not by the sword or by bullets and bombs in a military way. I send you out defenseless from that point of view. But you are armed. You are armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God and the Holy Spirit himself. And now you are a force to be reckoned with to deal with enemies the world can't deal with, with enemies that have subjected the world, that has enslaved the world. The power of Satan himself of sin, of darkness, and finally death. The Word has no power, no victory over those enemies. She is defeated by those enemies and enslaved. But you I send forth with the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit working, and you can set free and overcome the power of sin and death, sin and Satan, and finally, by the hope of the gospel, death itself. That's beloved in this passage, you see. That's a good word. We live towards the end of the world. We are faced with great powers of evil, of darkness, of Satan working, and you and I know that well. And what will they do to us in our schools and our churches as they, in time, seek to shut us down and imprison and who knows what? We have do. The word, beloved, God's promises, and the spirit, and beloved, go forth in his service and strong in his might to conquer all evil and stand for the right. And what does the Apostle Paul say in Second Corinthians chapter 10? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself with the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's the captivity, beloved. Working in such a way, those who are saved are brought into a captivity, if you will, a service to the obedience of Christ, beloved. That's power. That's power over enemies that the world itself cannot contend with. But it's given to the church and to believers by word and witness. Beloved, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen.
0: Our Father. To come again, present thyself, that our
1: Christ, our Lord, may return, the Son of David, conquering and to conquer, in Jesus' name, Amen.